Well, I think it's appropriate this morning that we start out with a story about Muhammad Ali. Especially when we're talking about humility. So Muhammad Ali, apparently at the height of his uh, fame, he was riding on a plane somewhere, and the captain comes over the loudspeaker system and says, we're, we're going to enter some turbulence, and this is, we don't think this is just going to be any turbulence. We think this is going to be pretty hot and heavy, so, you know, strap in. Get those seatbelts on, because um, this is going to be rough. And so, you know, the, the attendant there is going through, um, going through, making sure everybody's got their seatbelt on, as they do, you know, as they're supposed to, trying to keep everybody safe, and gets up to Muhammad Ali, and of course, what's he doing? He's got his laid out, you know, un, unstrapped. And she says, um, sir, you need to put your seatbelt on. And he says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And apparently about two beats went by, and she said, Superman don't need no plane. <laughs> I love that story, because he got it right back, you know. He got it right back. Well, apparently Muhammad Ali would have fit in very, very well back in ancient times. Because um, you, uh, it, was, it was, ancient times, it was really an honor and shame kind of culture. That the only people that you were humble before were the gods, because they could kill you, and, like, Caesar, because, well, he could kill you, right? That, that was the only time when you might bow your head or, or whatever, but, but with, with people who were relatively peers to you, you would never, ever denigrate yourself to them. You would never, ever go out of your way to, to really help them or to serve them in the position of someone who was lower than you. That if you did, then you, you would lose honor and you would be shamed. And in an honor-shame culture, that's not what you want. Uh, as some of the literature out there, apparently some of the introductions to some of the, the ancient writings, I think from Josephus, and of course Caesar wrote, the Caesar's Augustus wrote some amazing um, things about themselves that, that today we would just, are just cringeworthy about how great they were, how great their fa- families were, how, how, how honorable they were, and just on and on and on, pages and pages about how, how, just how wonderful they were. I mean, today, if we were to read a biography like that, we, we probably would be like, okay, I'm, I'm not even getting past the introduction. So what changed? Well, a guy named John Dixon, who's a, a professor, I believe, down in a, um, a school in Australia, wrote a book called Humilitas, where he's researched this and tried to discover what, when did this change and, and what is that about? Because his, the whole book is, about, is really about humility in, in life and in leadership and how the greatest people who've been able to affect the most change have often, been, have often used humility or been the most humble in terms of the way they went about things. And so his whole book is about that. It's, it's not very long. I, I commend it to you. But he contends through his research that he really believes that it was Jesus that changed the game on humility. 
because as it's written here, this is this is you know one of the one of the earliest things we have about about Jesus in the letter to the Philippians. Um, it looks like in in this letter to the Philippians that this is a that this is a hymn, perhaps maybe something they sang. But it, we, if nothing else, it's a liturgy of some sort, and it says. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, even though he had the highest honor, he had the highest place, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, being found in human form, and he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Well, in ancient times, I mean, the gods wouldn't sully themselves. I mean, they might come down and mess around with human women. But they sure wouldn't let themselves be hung on a cross. They wouldn't allow themselves to be equated with human beings who were below them And so for an entire group of people to begin following someone and calling him God and the Son of God who took on the form of a slave, who became human, who emptied himself and poured himself out and then allowed himself to be crucified by human beings, it was really unprecedented in the world. And thus, in some ways, began the thought that humility was something to be practiced. That holding yourself up and over other people is not the way that it's supposed to be. I want to read to you from, and it's very, I'm sure it'll be very familiar to you, um, from, from the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John. It begins with the 12th verse. And this is, uh, at least in the Gospel of John, we believe this is at the Last Supper. It's after um, after they'd eaten. He washes their their feet. And if you know that story, he he gets up from the table and he he takes off his outer robe and he puts a towel around him and and he bends down and he washes all of their feet. And no one would have done that for someone of equal status. No one would have done that for someone of equal status. Especially not the one who is regarded as a teacher, the rabbi. Especially not someone who they believe was the Messiah, the anointed one. That's why this is so radical and such a change. And, and I think that's why we don't get it. Especially those of us who've been in the church most of our lives. We're so used to this line of thinking. We're so used to these stories that we don't, it doesn't have much impact on us. But I want, to, I want you to get the impact. After he'd washed their feet, he put, on, he put it back on his robe and he returned to the table and he says to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right, for that's what I am. And in a sense, he's saying, here, My status is here. So if I, your teacher and Lord, the one who is above you, he doesn't really say that, but I think that's what's going on here. So if if I, who, uh, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. That's a radical, a radical idea, isn't it? Servants are not greater than their master. If I, whom your teacher and Lord have washed your feet, have served you, then you also ought to serve one another. Humility. Humility. I think it's a, it is truly a radical idea that we serve one who we believe is God, who shows us God, who teaches us who God is, And in the clearest way of showing us who God is, it's through service. It's through death. And so we serve the one who is the crucified one. We serve the one who is now is the risen one. But he's the one who taught us to serve one another and to serve others. But we often get confused, don't we? About what we're in service of. Recently, we've been talking about doing a renovation of our sanctuary space. Oh, yeah, everybody goes, here we go. And I get it. It's change. Everybody's going to be affected in one way or the other. Why would we do something like this? I mean, in some ways, it services our needs just fine. If it's just for us, fine. Some people have said, well, I don't wanna, we don't want to change that. It's so beautiful. Why can't everybody else just adjust to it? Well, my answer in this message is, is because we don't serve that room. We don't serve the sanctuary. We serve the Lord that we worship in that sanctuary. And that Lord is not contained in a, in a building. But the building is a tool with which we use to serve others. To serve others. And we believe, the elders and I believe, that by renovating that space, we will be able to serve others better. And we, we will be able to honor what we've been given by God as a tool for ministry, which is this building. But all of us are going to give up stuff. It's going to be different. It's going to be weird. It's not going to work, and it's going to work if we go down this road. But I think it's a great opportunity to remember who it is that we serve Do we serve ourselves and our own needs? Is is it about how comfortable I am in worship? Or is it about reaching out to somebody who's never been in worship? Is it about having a space that we we worship (laughs) and that it becomes a mausoleum? Or is it about honoring a living God 
who is always calling us forward and asking us to change and to grow and to serve others with more and more of ourselves. Listen, I get it. (laughs) Change is hard. And there's so much of it going on in our world right now. It can feel like the, the earth is moving under your feet. Like there's no stable place to stand. But let's go back to whom we serve. (laughs) This is the one who is called Lord, who is called Messiah, the one who was given the name above every name, who was called the Lord of creation, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Prince of Peace. This is the one whom we serve in all humility, which means the pastor's got to check his ego at the door. The elders have to check their ego at the door. Everybody's got to sort of check our own motivations, our own sinfulness, our own brokenness. And we're going to get it wrong and we're going to rub up against one another. But we're not going to hold that against each other. We're going to move forward because we worship the one who is the living God who poured himself out for humanity, for the universe, for all that is. Today, in our 11 o'clock service, we're going to, uh, we're going to baptize uh, Jonah Alejandro Nixon. I mean, what a, what a wonderful thing that is, isn't it? To, to welcome into, into this family a new brother in the faith. But just like all of us, he's going to need to be taught. He's going to need to be shown what it means to live this life of faith. That's a promise that we make on his behalf with God. In part of that liturgy, you know, um, I ask the question, will, will you, congregation, will you, will you support this family? Will you, will you help teach Jonah what it, what it means to be someone who, is to follow, who follows Jesus? And part of what we'll teach him through our own attitudes and through our own lives is humility. How to forgive ourselves. How to forgive each other. How to work together when it's difficult. How to come together when we have disagreements. How to hold together around the one who is the Lord and the giver of life. The one whose name is Jesus. And so today, I just ask us to examine our hearts. And maybe we need to do this every day. About what our motivations are. What are we doing in our lives? Who are we serving? And what would others say about our lives? Are we the proud one that looks in the mirror and only sees ourselves? Are we the proud one that only speaks and doesn't listen? Or are we the ones who are humble? Not to let others wipe their feet on us, but those who look to God 
to give us the strength and the ability to serve those around us, to look to the needs and the wants and the desires of others, to lift others up and to empty ourselves knowing that we will be filled again by the grace and the love of God. I just encourage you now to take a few moments and just reflect on the scripture passages for today. I'm going to reread part of the one from Philippians. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, 